and welcome to the Neo News Today podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, of Neo News Today. In episode 36 of the NNT pod, I had a chance to sit down and speak with Alex Guba, the CTO of Bridge, a digital identity and compliance solution provider. In this chat, we dove into the nuances of digital identity authentication versus authorization and the subsequent use cases for Bridge's solutions. We also touched upon why the team built Aver to offer identity verification services, the value of cross-chain support, what Alex is watching for with Neo3, and much more. So I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hey guys, what's going on? Dylan with the Neo News Today podcast. Today we are speaking with Alex Guba, the CTO of Bridge and Aver. How are you doing today, Alex? Good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Um, so we had a chance to to kind of like catch up. It's it's been a while since Neo DevCon too. Uh, but just for our listeners who may not be familiar with who you are, can we just start off with who you are and what your background is as a developer, both inside and outside of blockchain and the Neo ecosystem? Sure, sure. So, um, gosh, I'm probably coming up on my 20 years uh, in the industry at this point. Uh, primarily a .NET developer, applications, um, a lot of web applications, mobile, in you know, healthcare, um, some financial, and then obviously now blockchain and identity uh, spaces. So, uh, you know, been around for a little bit, have uh, some variety of experience. Cool. So. Um, I guess, what would you say is your elevator pitch for Bridge and what Bridge is for someone who doesn't know what your project is and what sure. your role is with Bridge? Sure. So uh, I came onto Bridge in 2018 as a, a, a chief architect to kind of bring the bring the product around. Um, and really, the Bridge digital identity platform is a unique approach to self-sovereign identity, um, digital identity specifically. Um and there, some of the challenges around that are really about that portability and ownership of data. So Bridge, first and foremost, is a portable identity platform that uses on-chain optionally, whereas a lot of identity projects may be coupled to the blockchain for all transmission. We're actually peer-to-peer and portable, but we do interact with uh, Neo and now Ethereum blockchains. So, so with Bridge as a digital identity and compliance solution provider that focuses on the blockchain ecosystem, what are maybe some of the broader issues uh, that you've noticed in your time in the blockchain ecosystem and with Bridge that di- distributed identity solutions um, kind of offer a resolution for? So really, uh, some of the challenges, especially as we were trying to build, build out Bridge, um, when you're talking about digital identity, you're talking about, you know, there's aspects of authentication, which is who you are, but then there's authorization of what you can do. Um, traditionally in distributed networks or, you know, uh, decentralized applications, some of the beauty of this is really that you are essentially anonymous. You're just an address that's taking action on something, whether it be an exchange or what have you. And, and the challenge really is on the day-to-day basis, a user doesn't really need to be disclosing who they are for authentication. It's mostly authorization. I'm allowed to buy beer. I'm allowed to do something. Um, you don't need to know who I am. You don't need to know my address. You don't even really need to know my name, unless, obviously, if I choose to do those things. So those are two different types of information that are needed at different times. 
Now, when you're dealing with exchanges or anything that might be more heavily regulated, there has to still be, especially due to some of the international laws um, and in the United States in the banking system, you still have to know, have an audit trail to be able to detect bad actors and still trace that back on an as-needed basis to find out who that individual might be. Granted, 99% of the time, you probably only need authorization, not authentication. So there's that kind of there, there's this element of full decentralization and anonymity with, um, you know, just the authorization component of what you can do. But then there's also this sort of centralization component of there has to be accountability and a full audit trail if there were an audit or some sort of um, some sort of research that needed to be done. And that might, you know, as I understand the decentralized uh, community doesn't like the idea of centralization, but maybe that needs a legal subpoena. Maybe that's only under very special circumstances, but it's it's got to be a blend of decentralized decentralized and centralized to be able to provide that whole anonymous access but at the same time providing accountability when it's really needed um so yeah that's uh and it, with bridge we've tried to address this as well um we have the idea of public claims and private claims where it's you know over the age of 18 over the age of 21 where i reside things that are just not sensitive information but then we do also have private, what we call private claims, where it's my name, my email address, um, my date of birth, things like that. And those are at the discretion of the user when and how those are provided. Um, and then with the bridge marketplace, dealing with the third-party authentication, the third-party verification providers, that would give you that centralization of, okay, you were verified by this person on this date for this claim. Um, then they could then subpoena or audit that third-party centralized provider to say, okay, this is the passport that authenticated that they were over the age of 18. Can you tell us more about the checks you did and whatever? And that's where that audit trail comes into play, where it's not on a day-to-day. -day. The self-sovereign identity doesn't need to know anything about that. They just need to know where they were verified. So then if there was a legal body that needed to get more information, they could go directly to that third-party provider and do that audit. So it really provides the best of both worlds, which is kind of how we've designed the entire um, solution. Cool. So thanks for kind of like giving an overview of the the kind of bridge solution. Um, maybe to help paint a picture for the Neo News Today listeners, could you potentially provide an example of one or two clients or potential partners that seek to use the bridge marketplace and how it connects individuals with service providers to verify their identity using bridge tokens? Sure. So the the idea of the bridge network is so as I mentioned, the protocol is peer to peer. I mean, there's no you can use the bridge protocol. It's open source. It's basically you have a bridge passport that is somebody's essentially it holds their digital identity. It has their claims, their blockchain wallets, their private keys, um, all that. And really, the protocol just is interaction between two passports. Um, from there, what happens is the bridge network. So it serves as, you know, it can facilitate communication between passports as needed, which would be like the bridge marketplace where it would take a passport and say, I need to find verification. It would route you through to that passport. Um, also, the network is just literally a source of trust. Um, you know, if there's a blacklisted passport, somebody's requesting information, um, the network knows about certain passports that, 
you know, if somebody is requesting it, kind of like SSL certificates, if you will, where it's just, you know, we've vetted out the passport on the network. We know it's not a bad actor. It's a business. They're offering some sort of verification. When you get challenged by that passport, you know who you're talking to. So the network is nothing more than really a source of trust and facilitates some some communication around the marketplace. Um, as far as the use case, uh, you know, the, the first, the first obvious use cases around digital identity, let's say age verification. Um, one example I've heard thrown around quite a bit that always seems relevant is, uh, obviously overseas they've done, you know, all porn sites are going to need to verify someone's over the age of 18. Obviously when you go to a site like that, you don't really want to be putting in your home address or, your name to whatever little indiscretions you have. It doesn't necessarily need to be uh, out there, but they do need to know that you're legally allowed to maybe certain types of content is illegal in the United States and what have you. Um, so that kind of author- that kind of authorization, it's anonymous, but you still need to know they have certain criteria that are met that they're allowed to access that content. Um, so the first pro- the first verification provider, um, the Bridge Protocol verification, the Bridge Protocol Corporation verification provider, provides that level of identity verification. Um, you know, age, date of birth, all these different things. It does that full identity check that those kind of claims would be imported into the passport, and then they could be provided anonymously peer to peer when interacting with that third party website. Or I guess if it was a distributed application, that would work that way too. So FINRA's travel rule kind of took effect, uh, I believe it was this July. There was a new travel rule that exchanges had to comply with being able to verify the identity of individuals on both sides of a transaction. Have you seen any uptick in potential interest from a variety of different entities that might want to use Bridge for um, any identity verification solutions because of the enactment of the travel rule? It's interesting, um, and this is probably a better question for Steve than myself. I don't get involved necessarily on that uh, as much of the compliance as Steve is, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely has created some challenges for exchange with the travel rule um, as far as, like I was saying, the accountability, just that access to the information. It can't be – so you have that authorization, but you still need to know who that person was, and that information needs to be communicated. And, uh, you know, as, as far – I'm not entirely familiar with the nuances of that. That's still something that we're working through. Steve's looking into uh, how that plays out. It's definitely a topic of conversation. It's definitely uh, something that's come about that's made things a little bit interesting. And I think it's going to change the landscape a little bit of exchanges and how they have to be compliant. And it, it does. It, it's a positive and a negative, I think. Mm-hmm. Um You've got a lot of personal information being transmitted all over to different exchange, from exchange to exchange, which is questionable because you don't know the data security practices. So it's kind of a personal data questionable gray area. But yet, would they accept just uh, an anonymous authorization with audit trail behind it? I think a lot of that's yet to be seen. But I, I think it's created some a bit of a gray area in terms of just personal data security with transparency for audit. And it, it's kind of a, an interesting space right now. Um, it's definitely something that's on our minds. It's something that Steve and I have uh, discussed at length. And um, I think it's still to be seen how that plays out. Um, it, right now, it's still, I, I don't want to say new, but it's still 
in its infancy, I think, in terms of how that's going to play out internationally among all these financial exchanges. Absolutely. Um, in addition to Bridge, uh, you and your team launched Aver uh, a year ago now, last July. Yep. And Aver provides identity verification products and solutions, and the Bridge token has a role in that service. So could you... So, ex- yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, I was go just going to ask if you could expand upon the relationship or the connection sure. between Bridge and Aver. So, yeah, so I think this is also a, a point of question among the community. It seems like it's not, the delineation is not clear. Um, so, Aver and Bridge are two entirely separate entities, two different business models with different focuses. Obviously, they're both concerned with identity and verifying identity, but just the way they manifest is different. Um, what happened was, uh, you know, the bridge marketplace needed a verification. You know, you, we have this marketplace with no verification provider. Obviously, we need to build one. We need to have some level of verification on the network. So Bridge Protocol Corporation was going to be the first verifier on the bridge network. Um, when we initially set out to do that, we had looked at all the bigger players in the space, your typical, your Jumio, your SoCure, your OnFidos, um, anybody that was providing this identity verification service. And uh, just in going down that, I guess you could call it a rabbit hole, um, the contract terms, the pricing models, uh, just your traditional, you know, we're in a world of software as a service with certain, the pricing models in terms were, it was all broken. Just Mm -hmm. everything about it was very antiquated. The pricing models, it was very uh, predatory in nature. Uh, We just saw a lot of very questionable things going on in the space. probably largely in part due to the ICO boom and just the opportunity there. But as we started really modeling out the future of Bridge and how we could really make this work for the token and the economic model, um, these models just didn't make sense. Um, And and the level of services were not what we were expecting. And, you know, there was a whole slew of things from a technology slash economic slash it just everything kind of it just wasn't making sense and we decided you know steve and i were like well what we could do is we we either wanted to find a partner when and we did uh quite a bit of research and talked to quite a few companies and just we we couldn't quite find the fit so steve and i said you know what the two of us can go off moonlight this and we're going to build something that can at least provide this service and our first customer is obviously going to be Bridge because we know Bridge needs this to be able to provide it to the network. So we built Aver as a separate company to provide identity verification services to f- essentially fix the or try to be a solution to the commercial identity space. But we also knew right off the bat that Bridge would take full advantage of this and this would then light up the Bridge marketplace and provide the claims. It, it just kind of was – it was a necessary piece because A, there was opportunity commercially, but B – Without something like this, we were having a hard time making bridge viable. So it was just, it, it was a bit of a juggle, and you know, it was a lot of extra time and a lot of extra effort on Steve and I to really get that moving. But once we were able to get that, we plug it into the marketplace, and then, as you can see with Bridge Three, everything kind of started to light up and starts to really work and make sense. It was just we got caught uh, kind of at the end of uh, God, what year was that? Mid last year, where it was just kind of we needed something and just, we just could not find it, um, in the marketplace. So we had to go off and moonlight and make, make something happen. So that's really the, the effort we took to do that. You, you just mentioned bridge three. Um, so you recently released version 3.0 of the identity platform, which integrated support for Ethereum. So why did the bridge team implement additional support for another blockchain? And what are some of the benefits that will arise 
from offering the ability for identity claims to be made on two separate blockchain networks. Sure, sure. So as I mentioned, Bridge has, and first and foremost, started off as portable, right? I mean, you, we didn't necessarily, I mean, we obviously implemented Neo as the first blockchain, but we've always had the 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 concept and the direction of wanting to support one to end blockchains, whether that be one, whether that be 20. I mean, we just never quite knew. We knew the blockchain was in its infancy and these ide- the idea of identity on a blockchain isn't unique to NEO. It's not unique to Ethereum. It's not, un- you know, it's just, if you're going to support a protocol, you need to consider those options. Um, so we started off as portable with NEO first. Um, and I also, uh, you know, looking at the entire space, um, you know, there are supporters and fanboys out there that say, you know, there's going to be one chain to rule them all. Um, as a technologist, you know, that's not the truth, right? I mean, you know, there's not one database server. There's not one language. There's, there's different, there, frankly, there's different use cases for different things. Even, you know, each blockchain might have their different strengths or different reasons or different input. You know, uh, maybe they're not allowed to be used in a certain place where another blockchain is. You have to offer that flexibility. So just being single chain, first and foremost, is a risk. I mean, it, is it a real risk? It may or may not be for the longevity of the project. But in our mind, we wanted to keep it open, be chain agnostic as much as possible. And obviously, coming from the NEO ecosystem, we started there. And then looking at Ethereum, there were challenges to building that out, which obviously um, – different challenges working with Ethereum over NEO that, you know, it took a little longer to get familiar with some of the nuances there. Um, and really the decision to move to Ethereum um, also was really around the de- the idea of decentralization. Ethereum has a really robust ecosystem um, in terms of decentralized exchanges, liquidity providers like Uniswap, things like that. Um, in the NEO space, you do have decentralized exchanges in terms of the decentralized mechanism, but getting your token listed on those exchanges or continuing to be listed on those exchanges, it is still somewhat centralized in nature. So again, that's a risk as well. Um, even though we do have great relationships with Switchio and such, um, you know, it's just always those things where without Bridge going directly to Switchio, nothing can happen on that exchange. Whereas in the Ethereum ecosystem, you have liquidity providers like Uniswap where and this actually happened after the 3.0 launch where our users can go swap tokens and they can actually go decide, hey, we're going to go form a pool ourselves to provide liquidity for this to be able to help drive the value of their token, to be able to really take it upon themselves to help and grow the ecosystem for Bridge. I mean, that's really the true spirit of kind of all of this is really the community is able to take the open source code and implement it. The community is able to build a verification provider on the bridge marketplace and and provide a service to the members. Um, they're able to provide their tokens for liquidity to help boost the ecosystem. It's really, it just, the more we looked at Ethereum, it made more sense. Um, and we love NEO and obviously we're still supporting that as well. Um, but it was just, it, it also opened us up to a whole other ecosystem of distributed applications and just, you know, Ethereum's got a new version coming out. Neo's got a new version. Well, in progress. I, I don't know how eminent Ethereum's next version is, but uh, you know, both are doing great things. And maybe there's going to be chains in the future that are appealing as well. We want to be able to support those. Um, but really, it just made sense to kind of realize this vision of we want to be cross-chain. And then Ethereum started to offer some really interesting things, where you know, Uniswap started to become popular. And we're like, that's really interesting. So. We started to really just it was it was time to branch out and try to really realize that vision of cross chain to take full advantage of the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, 
And obviously, with identity, we can publish it to both chains, and distributed applications in either ecosystem can do it or can take advantage of it, or like a, um, in a fully portable fashion or via hardware, it can be done peer to peer without any interaction with any blockchain or network at all. It just it really depends on the flavor of solution someone's using the protocol in. So. So to wrap up, um, I wonder if you or you in your role as as Alex's CTO or if Bridge in general has been following the development of Neo3, and if so, what are some interesting aspects of the update to the Neo blockchain that you're excited about? And secondly, how, if at all, will the next iteration of Neo impact Bridge? So, um, you know, I, I've followed Neo3 a bit. Um, it's interesting, you know. You have John Davidoff out in uh, Seattle working for NGD Seattle, and I've noticed uh, I've been following some of their work on the development tools. Um, I think that's a, a huge help to be able to speed up development, especially being the .NET side of things. That speaks to me a little bit. Um, as far as Neo three, we're kind of taking a wait and see approach with it. Uh, I think there's a lot of benefits to Neo three. Uh, you know, new consensus, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, needed enhancements. Um, but obviously with Neo3, if the listeners don't know, you know, Neo3 is essentially a brand new chain from Neo2. It's not just an evolution. It's really a whole new kind of animal. So really it's going to be more development work to migrate from Neo2 to 3. Um, it's going to require some community support. There may be technical challenges, smart contract rewrites, um, storage may not be able to migrate. Um, token distribution may have to be more in the fashion of an airdrop. Um, those things are all yet to be seen. So without knowing all the full technical details of what two to three migration looks like, then combined with what tools are going to be available to do that in with what effort levels. And then also you have to consider you know, the, the financial models of will contract uh, redeployment costs be covered for the community. There's, there's a lot of questions out there. I, I think there's a lot of benefit. I think it's an exciting new time for NEO. But there's enough questions out there where you know, Bridge is going to sit back, observe the playing field. Obviously, NEO 2 is not sunsetting anytime soon. So we'll still support that. We'll still support Ethereum. Um, and if and when Neo3 becomes viable and the right decision for us, uh, we can just plug it right in with our uh, you know cross-chain model, and we'll just drop it in as a Neo3 wallet slash chain support, and we'll more than likely support you know Neo2 and three side by side. I mean, there's no reason we couldn't do that. So that's kind of uh, you know the approach at this point is a wait and see to see just really how this all plays out. Awesome. Well, Alex, it was great to catch up with you finally. Um, it feels like it's been a lifetime since yeah, Neo2 absolutely. DevCon in Seattle. Uh, so I just want to thank you so much for sharing some of your time today with the Neo News Today team and, and for our listeners. And uh, definitely look forward to having you um, again on a future podcast um, sure. sometime this year, or maybe next year. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Dylan. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? It was interesting to learn about the desire for Bridge to create cross-chain solutions and particularly to hear about those wants and needs from a developer at the project level. I thought this conversation was timely as Neo Leadership has been establishing protocol agnostic relationships, not just with blockchain ecosystems, but other verticals as well. This has been evident in recent announcements of partnerships with the Interwork Alliance and the Blockchain-Based Service Network. 
It was also great to hear that Alex is keeping an eye on the developer tools that are being built and released out of the NGD Seattle office, especially as they mesh with his background in .NET. To keep up to date with the latest in the NEO ecosystem, visit www.neonewstoday.com. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our channels on YouTube, Apple iTunes, and or Spotify. And leave a five-star review if you feel that others should hear our content. Every subscription and review helps others learn more about the NNT pod and the NEO ecosystem. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the NEO News Today podcast. And we look forward to catching you next time. <laughs>